so it's good to, yeah, it's good to see you all tonight. Uh, I hope you all have had a good week. How many of y'all had tests this week? Yeah, most of y'all. A lot of you had tests. I know this was a, this was a big week academically for, for many of you. This felt like the week where everyone was like, oh yeah, college. <laughs> Here we go again. So um, yeah, good job. Keep your, keep your chins up. We'll make it through it. It's good to see you. I hope, I hope you had a good week. I know, I, know, I know stress has been a thing for a lot of you with school. I know that there's other things going on in some of your life that are stressful. There's stuff going on in my life that's been stressful. And that's actually why we're here tonight, is because uh, Jesus talks about stress in some amazing ways. Uh, and so uh, we are going to hear tonight from what Jesus has to say about stress. There's not a whole lot that needs to be said as an introduction, because we all know what stress feels like. We know what stress is. Um, but I'll start off with a couple of facts and then a couple of stories. So I, I recently read a book called The Stressed Years of Their Lives, which is about college students and stress. Um, and it's, uh, it's by two medical doctors and, uh, and, and uh, mental health care workers. And they're, they're talking about college student anxiety today. And a couple of their findings, they say that mental health and anxiety in particular is the most common mental health issue for college students uh, in t- today in, in, in America. They say one-third of college students are so depressed or so, so anxious that they struggle to, to, to function, to get through their day. Um, 80% of students felt overwhelmed in the last year. 45% of students felt that they were hopeless. And those stats came out before COVID. <laughs> so I'm confident that COVID and as it's long trail of effects continue that those stats only have gotten more acute, more, more, more real. Um, and so from our anxiety, we know this, uh, comes all kinds of self-destructive behavior, um, substance abuse, compulsive sexual behavior, eating disorder, um, self-harm like cutting, suicidal ideation, suicide attempts. Uh, and then all of these stats were so much, are so much worse among minorities. And so that's the statistics, and it's mental health is the absolute pandemic epidemic that is wrecking college students. Anecdotally, that's totally true as I talk with college students on this campus. Every single one of the students I talk to is like, man, I'm stressed. And some of you are able to handle it, some of you are not, and that's okay. But it's all of us. We're all bringing, coming in here tonight with some kind of stress. And so stories, just last week I had a coffee with a student who's trying to get into dental school, and there's tons of comp- competition in that. And so tons of, of pressure to make sure his GPA is just rock solid. Um, and then also, it's not just GPA. You guys know how the drill is. You've got to have the extracurriculars. You've got to have the internships. You've got to have the volunteer pro- I mean, just churning things out. And he just said, he said, uh, Jonathan, I'm just stressed all the time. All the time I'm stressed. And, uh, and then also, just last month, I know of several students who have had personal and mental breakdowns in the last, <laughs> since this semester started, and you do too, roommates, friends, classmates. Um, so I know that you all are coming in here bringing anxiety. I know that I've just been seeing my physical therapist who said, Jonathan, you're not injured, you're stressed, and you're carrying stress in your back. And so stress is all, anxiety is all around us. It's just the reality. It is the air that colleges produce and breathe. Um, You're feeling stressed, anxious about something, a test tomorrow, this week, a relationship, your parents, 
Maybe it's your health or your family's health, money, waiting for that scholarship to come in, time, all of these things, work. And, and like I said, it's the reality that it's, uh, that it's the hidden pandemic. And so um, you know it, I know it, we all know it. What do we do about it? Where does Jesus meet us, begin to heal us in this stress? And uh, so this is where tonight, it's amazing, it's so sweet. Jesus teaches us that our Heavenly Father supplies everything that we need and that we can, so that we can wholly seek his kingdom, wholeheartedly seek his kingdom. So we're going to look at this in three ways. We're going to look at one, how anxiety delivers anxiety and distracts us from the kingdom. Anxiety delivers anxiety and distracts us from the kingdom. Two, our Heavenly Father knows what we need. And three, if that's true, how can we seek the kingdom of God? Very simple. Let's look at this and see what, uh, what this says. And uh, I'm going to read this text. As you have uh, thoughts as, I, as I'm talking, I know that this is going to be something that uh, could spark questions. Text me. My phone number is on there. I will respond, not answer, respond to those and try to get started at some, uh, at some ideas for this. So uh, let me read this and then we will dive in. This is Jesus teaching his disciples. He says, therefore, I say to you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we are coming in here anxious. I know I am. Um, I, I carry things said and unsaid that I'm stressed about in body, mind, and spirit, and students are the same way. And we are on a campus and in a time of life and in a time of human history where anxiety is so present. And we need you in your fatherly care to calm our anxiety. So Lord, as we look at your word, we pray that it would be more than just me speaking, but that it would be you reassuring, comforting, changing our hearts to trust you more. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at three things. First, first, anxiety delivers anxiety and distracts us from God's kingdom. So let's look at that. So look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put, uh, and what you will put on your body. So what's going on here? In verse 25, it's pretty clear. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. And that's a command and an exhortation. Those two things happening at the same time. He's, he's saying, I'm commanding you, don't be anxious. And he's exhorting you, please, seek to not be anxious. But, and, and, and I want to think about that, but I want to step back and think about what's happening when you and I are anxious. What's going on there uh, what, when we're stressed in our life? Let's run a scenario. 
I bet many of you in the last week and the last month have had, I know you've had one thing that you were anxious about, <laughs> that you experienced some stress in your life. Uh, maybe it was an exam, maybe the last semester, you know, whatever, it was GPA, something's causing anxiety. But think with me, when that thing was over, when you took that test, when you made that, you know, you finished that shift at work, were you, did you feel relief? Maybe for a second, but if you're anything like me, you pretty much instantly found something new, the next thing to get stressed about, the next test, the next whatever it was. Your, your brain, your mind, your body just latched on to the next thing to be anxious about. And, and the lie about anxiety is that if we could just get past the next thing I'm stressed about, then I won't be anxious. And what happens is we end up creating this vicious, perpetual machine, motion machine of stress creating, stress creating, stress. And, it, and, we, and, and we keep thinking, maybe, maybe this time I won't be stressed anymore. And yet we find ourselves constantly stressed one more time, anxious one more time. It's like climbing a mountain. You, you just think, man, if I can just get to that summit, I'll be done. You get to the top of the mountain and there's a whole range of mountains. A whole array of mountains that are left to go. It's like, oh my gosh. That's, that's what anxiety does to us. It's never actually alleviated. Anxiety only delivers more anxiety. In fact, anxiety is highly addictive. As uh, neuroscientists are doing studies about the anxious brain, they're finding that when you're anxious, you're actually, your body is pumping out all kinds of hormones, adrenaline and, and all these things. And, and eventually our brains get addicted to the kick, like we need the anxiety to function. That's why we procrastinate. Some of us procrastinate. So we, we need that pressure to make us do the things that we need to do. And so we, you are a generation of students who are driven and addicted to feeling anxious, right? We become dependent on it. And that's, that's amazing because it, just, it becomes foolish, right? Albert Einstein, he said, maybe you've heard this before, Albert Einstein said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And yet, what do we do over and over and over again? We just say, I'll be, I won't be anxious after this. If I, could just, if I could just get to this next step, get into dental school, get into the grad school program, finish Calc 2, finish organic chemistry, then I won't be anxious. And it never works. It just delivers more and more anxiety. Anxiety is actually foolish. It's, it's folly. It's a kind of mental and emotional, it's a kind of mental and emotional insanity. And that's why Jesus says, he kind of says tongue-in-cheek in verse 27, he says, who of you can add a single hour to your life by anxiety? It doesn't solve anything. Nothing good comes out of being anxious. And, and, and nothing, nothing will actually come out of that and, and make us less anxious. And why is that? Anxiety doesn't work. It's, why is that? It's because behind anxiety is a world of spiritual and emotional and social and mental forces that are distracting us from the goodness of God and for, forcing us to focus on ourselves. They're forcing us to say, I'm alone in this world. I'm alone in this world, and if life is going to happen my way, I've got to hustle. I've got to get in gear. I've got to work. Forcing us to say, if I'm going to survive, if I'm going to succeed, I've got to make it happen. 
And so, so anxiety, stress becomes like us constantly dumping water into pots that are cracked. And the water just flows out. And we're just like, oh, please, just fill. Stop being so anxious all the time. And so we become obsessed. We become obsessed with our world, our, my needs, my goals, my desperate attempts to validate, prote- provide, and protect ourselves. And so... What I I think Jesus is saying here is that anxiety, don't hear what I'm not saying. Anxiety becomes a kind of selfishness, a kind of selfishness. Jesus says even anxiety about our most basic needs like food and clothing, which I know most of us have tonight. If you don't, come talk to me. But anxiety, it, it becomes a kind of selfishness and it distracts us from the things that are matter, the things that we're called to and, and created to care about God's kingdom. And it forces us to medicate and focus in on ourselves and just kind of black hole in on my things. And when we do that, we become a campus of navel-gazing, stressed out of our mind, narcissists who are so hopped up on energy drinks and medication and adrenaline that we just can't function anymore. And, and again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not anti-mental health. I'm not anti-counseling. I'm not anti-medication. I've done all of those things. I've been on antidepressants three times in my life and anti-anxiety medications. But what I'm saying is treating those things alone is not going to solve the problem. Jesus says there is a deeper world underneath our anxiety that has to do with dealing with him. And that medication alone can be just a band-aid to deeper emotional and spiritual issues. And if that's where you find yourself tonight, please don't stay there. The stigma of mental health is cracking, but it's still present. Come talk to someone on ministry team. Talk to Rachel, who's not here tonight because she's not feeling well. Or talk to me. We love to find resources to piece together a network of of caring for that anxiety. But here's my challenge to you, and it leads to the second point. Anxiety can be, not always is, but can be a denial and a neglect of trusting our Heavenly Father in our lives. That's what verse 30 says. Look at verse 30. Will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? Here Jesus is connecting our anxiety to our trust, to our faith, and saying that there is a spiritual dimension happening in our mental health, in our anxiety, in our depression. He connects it to our trust of God's fatherly care for us. If anxiety is believing and acting like we are alone in the world, that there is no God, he doesn't care, it causes us to to spiral into self-protection mode of selfishness, of isolation, of building our own little sandcastle and saying, I have to look out for myself. As opposed to, perhaps I can trust that there is someone, something bigger than myself that that will care for me. So that's the first thing, is that anxiety delivers anxiety and it distracts us from God's kingdom. So then where where does God meet us in the midst of that? That's our second point, that our Heavenly Father knows what we need. Look at verse 26 through 32. I already read it, but you can skim it on your own. He, He says, look at the birds of the air. He says, consider the flowers. He says in verse 32, your Father knows what you need. And in these words, in the verses here, Jesus is freeing us. He's freeing you. He's freeing you from the worldly obsession, from the cycle of anxiety that a college campus produces, and to to trust in a heavenly Father's goodness. 
And he starts here, it's very interesting how he builds his argument. He starts with a lesser argument, a lesser point, and builds to a stronger point. He starts, he says, if this is true, and it is, how much more is this true? So he says, if, if, if the birds and the flowers are true, how much more is it true for you? And so, so let's look at this. He says, look at the birds. And today, as I was studying this, I was actually quite anxious today. It's ironic. I was more anxious than normal today, and I was studying this, and the Lord was tilling my heart up. I went outside and I sat on my front porch and I watched some barn swallows in my front yard. And I just, I was like, all right, Jesus says, look at the birds. I'm going to go look at the birds. I've got lots to do. I got to, I got to, but I'm going to go listen to Jesus and watch some birds. And I watched these birds and you know what birds, they don't really do a whole lot. <laughs> they fly through the same air over and over and over again. Then they go land on a telephone wire and they just kind of sit there and they chirp at the bird next to them. Then they fly through the same air again. Then they go sit on a tree. It's like, they don't do a whole lot. They just, they just kind of do their thing. And Jesus says the three things that a, that, a, that, a, that a person does to care for themselves and their food. You have to sow seed. You have to cut the grain. That was, and then you have to store it. He says they don't do any of those things. They don't harvest crops. They just, they just, and, and yet, and yet they still eat. And notice what he says. He doesn't say their creator God feeds them. No, he says your heavenly father feeds a bird. How much more is he going to feed you? Jesus says. But that's not where he lives off. He says, he says, consider the flowers. Consider the flowers. Well, we'll consider the flowers in just a second. He says, he says your heavenly Father feeds them. And how much more valuable are, you, are they, Jesus says in verse 26. Are you not of much more value? He says, if you are God's child, are you not of so much more value than a bird? And behind this, Jesus' point is clear. He says, if adoption is true, and adoption is the theological apex of the Christian faith, Adoption is the doctrine that says that when you and I entrust our lives to Jesus, then God welcomes us, adopts us into his family so that we become quite literally the daughters and sons of the God of the Bible, the creator of all things. That we, when he sees us, he sees his precious children. And if that is true, and I think it is, I think the resurrection proves that we are truly God's children. If that is true then it means that God infinitely cares for you more than he cares for a bird. And if he provides for a bird, how much more will he provide for you? And the same is true of flowers. I love, one of my favorite places in the whole world is the Colorado high country. I grew up in Colorado, and I love to go and get, I was going to say get high, but that I like to go up high in elevation. <laughs> and like to like 12,000 feet because there's tons and tons of wildflowers. In like late June, July, uh, the wildflowers are just in full bloom. You know, like beautiful marsh marigolds and columbines and daisies and Indian paintbrush and bluebells. And yet it's a really harsh environment because it's so high. Like wind, it's still freezing cold at night, uh, thin air. And yet these flowers bloom and they're gorgeous. And Jesus says that they are, that they are, that God cares for these flowers. And he says, if God cares for these flowers that are blooming for a few weeks, and then they're gone. They're completely gone. They wither and die. He says, if, if he cares for them, how much more will he care for you? How much more will he care for you? 
And so Jesus' point here is that if God cares for little things like birds and flowers, how much more is he going to care for you? Now, I know what you're thinking because I think the same thing. We think, all right, here's the rub. What happens when I'm not cared for? What happens when I look into my life and, I, and I'm stressed and I don't feel like God is providing? When life hits back, when I fail tests, when money runs out, what do I do with that? Or to put an even sharper point on it, because I want to make this as hard for Jesus as I can, does this pass what I call the Ethiopian refugee camp test? Could you go into a refugee camp full of Ethiopian Christians and say, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Jesus will care for you. When they are truly wondering, what are we going to eat tonight? Does Jesus' words pass the most broken things that our world can happen? Is God's, does, why, why do God's children starve? Is God actually a good father? Because if this is true, it should apply not just to our anxiety as college students who have more privilege than we'll ever know what to do with, but it should apply to the poorest and the least privileged of the children of God. And, and these are hard questions, ones that I, I can't fully answer, but we have to plumb these depths. And this is what I think we have to do. We have to go back to the goodness of God on full display. This text, this text asks us to trust that God is all good and all powerful. It asks us to trust that God is all good and all powerful. If he is those two things, then he is a trustworthy father and we can trust him in our anxiety. And hang with me, nothing proves, nothing proves the goodness and the power of God like Jesus Christ on the cross. Nothing proves the goodness of God than Jesus going and dying for his enemies. Nothing proves that Jesus loves those who don't deserve to be loved than Jesus hanging on a cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And nothing proves the power of God like Jesus walking out of an empty tomb, alive, when he should have been dead. God himself living again. So the cross and the empty tomb, they prove the goodness and the power of God. Without, I mean, that, that, that Christianity hinges on that point. That's the whole point. And if those two things happen, which I'm convinced they do, and when you're a Christian, you're convinced those things happen, then that means we can say, come what may, God is good and powerful, and I can trust him no matter what happens. He is faithful in this life and the next. Do you remember what happened to Job? Some of you know the book of the, the, book, the, the character Job in the Bible. Job, he was rich, wealthy, happy, privileged would be the word we would use. And his life is decimated. His friends, well, his children die. His wealth is taken and stolen away. His wife mocks him. His friends are condescending and lecture him. God seems to abandon him. And what does he say? I know that my Redeemer lives and I will see God in my flesh. And Job was written before Jesus. And in his anxiety, he says, I trust God. I trust that God is alive, that he is good, and that he is powerful, and he is trustworthy. That's our Heavenly Father. Now, does that fully alleviate our questions about our own anxiety when God doesn't deliver, or the Ethiopian refugee test? Yes and no. It means that there's hope in this life, there's hope in the next. But it does say that God is powerful, all-powerful, and all-good. So back to Matthew, verse 32. Verse 32. He says, 
but seek, you know, sorry, it says, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here, Jesus liberates us from the anxiety of trusting in ourselves and frees us to trust in our good and powerful heavenly Father who knows what you need. He knows what grade of a test is better for your good than you do. He knows what you need after college better than you do. He knows what you need in your relationship life. Whatever the source of anxiety is in your heart when you're storing your life tonight, Jesus, the Father, know what you need and they're caring for you better than you could care, better than anyone else could care for you. And he's in control, he's powerful, he loves you. We have a Father as Christians who knows what we need and cares for you. He loves you. So if that's true, the last point, we can and should seek God's kingdom, not our own anxiety-inducing kingdom. Verse 33. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. But, instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So instead of our little narcissistic wormhole kingdoms, he says, seek God's kingdom. Instead of our own anxiety, which just gives us more anxiety, seek God's kingdom, seek his righteousness. And not only does Jesus here free us from the obsession of ourself, but he, he, liber- he gives us a new obsession of God's kingdom, of what God is doing. He says that our heavenly Father supplies us what we need, but not in the route that we would expect of the world of hustling, but in the roundabout way of seeking God's kingdom, of seeking God's righteousness. And so here Jesus is he's commanding us, take our eyes off of ourselves, off our selfish and foolish anxiety, and look into what God is doing. Look into God's world for a place where we can throw ourselves into, a God of, into the cause of what God is doing. Jesus liberates us from the, ins- the inanities of our obsessions for a new obsession, his kingdom. And he says, when we pursue that, then God will deliver to us either in this life or the next all the other things that we need, want, desire. And so he says, seek his righteousness. And righteousness here in, in the book of Matthew, it, righteousness here means the moral and spiritual life of obedience to God and his law. The moral and spiritual life of obedience to God and his law. It's right living. It's right thinking. It's right feeling and desiring where rightness is defined by God and by his word. And so he says here, seek righteous, the righteousness of God. Seek his kingdom. What does that mean? It means that our obsession, our, our pursuit needs to be God and his commands. To submit our desires, our plans, our hopes to what God is doing in our lives and not trying to manipulate in our own, through our anxiety and our own control, our own destiny and say, God, I am your child. I will do what you've called me to do and trust you with the rest. God, I, I, I will trust that you are good and at work in my life and so I will seek to love my neighbor as myself, even if it means I have to give up on my own success, agenda, health. Seeking God's righteousness means giving up our agenda to seek God's agenda. Obeying God's priorities over our own. Faithfulness and obedience instead of the hustle, instead of control. It becomes earthly goods like tests and money and even things like food and clothes become byproducts and not goals. 
It means rather than using our time and our energy and our resources to make ourselves look as big and successful as we can to seek the good of our neighbor over ourselves. That's hard, y'all. That's hard because we live in a college world and in a world that says, get what's yours. If you don't, you're on your own. We live in a competitive world where it says you have to earn what's yours and if you don't, no one else is looking out for you. So this takes tremendous faith to say God is more faithful to me than I am. That God is going to bless me even if I don't get my dream job. Even if I don't get into the grad school I want to get into. How does this look for us in college? Well, for some of you, it means talking to the new person in RUF, talking to the lonely student in your class, even when you're burned out emotionally. For some of you, it means giving up an hour of your study time to go to Bible study, to spend time with another person just talking about life, to spend time in your word, in the Bible, to, to say, you know what, I have to take a Sabbath. I have to give myself a break and be in church and be with the people of God, even though I won't be able to study as much. Even though it means, it means that some things in your life may suffer, that you may seek and find the righteousness of God, the kingdom of God. Think about this. I want to do a thought experiment. What if the Christians on this campus... What if the Christians in RUF actually started to do what Jesus calls us to do here, to trust ourselves to our Heavenly Father and to seek the kingdom of God in place of our own anxiety and our own kingdoms? Look what he says here. The Gentiles, the non-Christians, the people who don't know God, they are the ones who are in the anxiety, caught-up, spiral hustle. That's not for you. You seek the kingdom of God. What if Christians on this campus... We're saying, we're done with this. We are going to pursue what God has called us to pursue, come what may. What if we had prayed and exhorted each other into a kind of non-anxious seeking God's kingdom? What would happen? If a campus, in the campus where anxiety is the defining reality of our lives, if we were a community that says, I have a lot going on, but I trust that my Heavenly Father knows what I need and will provide for me, what kind of witness would that be on our campus? If we were to become the people who say, life's tough, but I trust my Father. I think perhaps that could be the best evangelistic witness on a college campus that we could do. Far more persuasive than all the talks of, hey, come, come, come follow Jesus. If we just said, I'm at peace because my God loves me. Come what may. I think it would be the best countercultural way to combat stress and anxiety in our lives. That shows a college campus that God makes a difference in our lives. That Jesus is risen and sitting on his throne and that we, if we can trust him in that, that will, friends, that will shape a campus in a way far greater than I think anything else could do on our campus today. It's the best countercultural, counterworldly proof that God is God and that he is your father. If we can become a com- community that says, I'm not going to be anxious, I'm going to seek the kingdom of God. We are going to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that look like in your life? How can you exhort one another? How can you be sending each other TikToks and whatever you guys do, snaps, to say, how are you seeking the kingdom of God today? How can I seek the kingdom of God in your life today? Rather than, I can't hang out, I got too much to do. 
I, oh, I can't, I, I just can't do, I, that's not going to happen. Just, I, gotta, I gotta do this. What if he's like, no, I'm going to take the hit. Jesus will protect me. Let's build the kingdom of God by crushing anxiety in our lives, in our world, our community. Our text tonight, you see it's both comfort and challenge. That's what Jesus does. He comforts us. He says, your heavenly father cares for you more than you know. He loves you more than you know. He will provide for you more than you possibly know. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what, that's what Jesus does. He comforts us and he challenges us. And God promises when we do that, he blesses us. He says, first, I give you myself. And he says, I give you everything you need. I challenge y'all. First, be comforted by this. In the places where you are anxious, know that Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He has a, he has a wonderful plan for your life. And for the next trust that because Jesus is died and risen and I challenge you seek the kingdom and his righteousness in the world of anxiety and it's going to happen tomorrow I will wake up tomorrow and I will be anxious let's make the decision to say Lord I trust you I'm not going to be anxious I'm going to seek to do what you've called me to do today trust your heavenly father seek the kingdom of righteousness and all the other things will be added let me pray for us